We're in the midst of this series called Pray, um, where we're studying four specific prayers that Paul prayed for individuals and for churches that he wrote letters to, those letters that would eventually become a, a big chunk of the New Testament. And as we study these prayers, what I hope is that we're adding these to our own prayer lives, because so many of us would honestly have to admit, and we talked about this the first week, that, that our prayer lives are often a little bit weak, that, that we want to be praying people, and we want to be a praying church, that we, we, we say we understand the importance of prayer, but that the day-to-day of, of that doesn't always come easily to us. The reality is a lot of us don't often know what it, what it is we should be praying for, so these four weeks that we're talking about, these four things, um, are, are a good help, because these are four things we could always be praying for. So far we've talked about um, praying for power so that Christ may fill us up. That, that was week one. And then in week two, we talked about praying that we would be active in sharing our faith so that we would have a full understanding of every good thing that we have in Jesus. And this week, we'll continue that, that pattern, praying for something so that something else will happen. And today's prayer that Paul prayed is actually very close to a prayer that Jesus prayed. And if Jesus prayed it and Paul prayed it, there's a pretty good chance that we should too. Um, And this prayer is about unity, unity in the family of God, unity in the body of Christ, which is the church. And it was an important prayer then, and it's an important prayer now, because if we're honest, we would have to admit that Christians are not always the most unified people around. Um, Honestly, all you have to do is drive down Middle Road and see all the different churches, and you see that Christians are not necessarily the most unified people around, which, which should kill us, because here's the thing, I've experienced a lack of unity and at the same time, I'm sure that I've been a part of it. I've been part of the cause sometimes. Um, really, in life in general, people love to pick things apart, don't they? That if you go look up restaurant reviews, you can fall down a real quick rabbit hole and just keep reading restaurant reviews, especially like if, you, if maybe there's a restaurant you particularly like and you go to their Yelp page or whatever and you realize that a bunch of people have written negative reviews about it and you're reading through it and you go, well, that's not fair, that's not right, and you get fired up about it. And you kind of fall down, like I said, that rabbit hole. But what you'll see is that people are usually more willing to publicly declare that they weren't satisfied with a restaurant than they are to publicly declare that they were. They're more likely to write a review if they're mad than if it was enjoyable. People are more likely to write a review of a restaurant or a store or really anything to say something negative than to take the time to do it just to say something positive. There are actually people out there who, who purposely do spend time writing positive reviews to help balance that out, and I, I appreciate that. I don't really have that kind of free time on my hands, or I might be willing to do that too. But sometimes I think it's the same way in the church. If, if someone's not happy about something within the church, they'll speak up about that. But people often don't speak up if, if they're happy, if they're growing, if they're engaged and involved in helping the church to, to move forward in the kingdom of God to grow. But the problem is... Public complaints from within Christianity or within the church communicate one and only one thing to the world outside of the church, to those that don't follow Jesus, and that's a lack of unity. That's what that communicates. I honestly believe that one of Satan's greatest schemes, and really one of his most effective ones, is to divide the body of Christ, to divide the church, to divide Christians, to to show the rest of the world, those that aren't Jesus followers, that this is a place, that this is a group of divisions. And it makes sense because the truth is if the body of Christ as a whole around the world was truly united, I honestly believe we'd be unstoppable. And yet, clearly we're not. 
when we're divided, we're, we're deluded and weak and, and, in fact, ineffective. It's like this. I'm, I'm watching the NBA Finals right now. Um, if you watch the NBA at all, you know that really nothing happens until the playoffs. And even then, this year, not much happened until the, the finals. And as a, as a big, lifelong Cleveland Cavaliers fans, these are exciting times for me because the Cavs are in the NBA Finals and everybody jumping on the bandwagon can, can have a moment. But, but I've been a fan for 30 years, so I, I, get to, I get to enjoy this more. And the best games that any team have played this year, but specifically the Cavs, the best games that they've played in the playoffs this year involve everyone playing their part and being on the same page as a team. Twelve guys working toward one goal, no matter who's on the court. And not all 12 guys on the team get on the court, but, but the right guys on the bench cheering at the right times and encouraging guys off the there, There's a guy on the Cavs that has not played a single minute this, this playoffs, that he's the first guy up every time everybody's coming off to, to shake hands, to high-five, to say good job. Everybody plays their part. Everybody's on the same page. And, and usually when that happens, they win. But the worst games that the Cavs have played in the playoffs this year involve everyone playing a part, being on different pages. They do their own thing. They don't all have 100% the same goal. Yeah, everybody wants to win, but there are other things that factor in. And, and, and when they're on the same page, they look unstoppable. When, when they aren't, they look pedestrian and very beatable. And that's the church, a unified body of Christ, unified believers would be unstoppable. But, but the, and, and while that's the goal and that's what God wants for us, it, it's tough for us. And so that's why Paul prays for it here. And we find this prayer in Romans 15. And this is in your bullets and it'll be on the screen as well. Romans chapter 15, verses 5 through 7. It says this. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praises to God. Our attitude and mind, the way that we treat one another, the way that we accept one another are to be in line with how Jesus functioned in those same ways. And if we do that, we will glorify God in unity. Unity brings glory to God. And like I said, this is very close to a prayer that Jesus prayed. It's recorded in John chapter 17. Verses 20 through 23, Jesus said this. He said, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. And so he says that line. He says, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Now, complete unity probably sounds unattainable, and yet Paul prayed for unity, and Jesus prayed for unity. And so I'd say that even if complete unity is unattainable in this life, in our world, it doesn't mean that it's not something we should be striving for within Christianity. And the reasoning, the potential result of that unity makes it clear that trying is worth it, that God would be glorified and the world would know that God sent Jesus to reach a lost and broken world. If the church is unified, what that shows to people outside the church is that there is something about them that is different, that God must be with them. And so if unity has the ability to help us further the kingdom of God, then it's absolutely something we need to strive for. 
And it's not surprising that God is a fan of unity. I mean, as much as we struggle with it, we also acknowledge that it's a good thing. There are a lot of things that we understand are good. It doesn't mean we're, we're good at them. Um, but think about, think about unity in your, in your place of work, maybe. Are the best days the days when everyone gets along at your job, or the days where everybody butts heads? Some of you are saying there are only days where everybody butts heads. The best days are when I'm not there. But that's fine. But if you've been around maybe kids' sports, it's all about them having fun. But when the moment comes, and sometimes it only lasts a moment, where, where for the first time every kid on the field or on the court gets it, and, and for just that fleeting moment they're striving for the same goal, it's a really cool thing to see. Or, or as weird as this sounds, think about the grocery store. Some of you may enjoy grocery shopping, some of you not. But if I could go to a grocery store and everybody stayed to the right in every aisle and walked on the right only, I'll tell you, I've never actually seen that happen, but it would be amazing if everybody stayed on the right and everybody could just move down the aisles without running into one. Oh, it would be awesome. Or if you have kids or grandkids or spend time around the kids, that, that moment where, where they actually all play together and there's no fighting and no one's off by themselves and there's just a cohesive group of kids with no goal but fun. Again, it doesn't happen very often, but when it does, it's, it's really cool. And so we know unity when we see it and we know the positive results of, of, of unity, unity, but yet we fight so often within the body of Christ. And I think the reasoning, it has to do with some confusion about what it is we're up against. We get caught up in differences in beliefs and traditions and preferences and a lot of things that honestly don't have a lot to do with God but have a lot more to do with us. And we end up fighting other Christians and other churches. What we need to recognize is that all followers of Jesus, no matter what church they're part of, no matter what they actually believe, all followers of Jesus have a common enemy whose goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. In fact, in John chapter 10, verse 10, John writes this, he says, The thief comes only to steal, or this is Jesus' words, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it to the full. And then over in 1 Peter 5, 8, Peter writes, this, He says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You know, there, there is an enemy. When it comes to, to, to our walk, there, there is an enemy from a spiritual perspective. And the enemy is not the Christians down the street. It's not denominations. It's not unbelievers or atheists. It's not other religions either. It, it's, it's the devil. It's Satan. And, and his goal is to kill, steal, and destroy. And one of the things that he's really good at is stealing the unity in the family of God, of killing the power that unity could bring and destroying the credibility of the local church through disunity. When we realize that we do have a common enemy, that should unite us because we can do infinitely more to, to combat that together than we could divide it. And unity is tough, but that's why we pray about it. That's why we ask for God's help in it, because we need God's help. And it's all for one purpose, that God can be glorified and more of the world can come to know Jesus. And so what I want to do is share with you today three reasons why we pray for unity. The stronger our why is, the more likely we'll be to act. If your why for something is weak, you probably won't actually act on it. But if your why is strong, we're more likely to act. And I think these are strong whys. First one is this, we pray for unity because we desperately need each other. 
We are not meant to walk this life alone. We're not meant to follow Jesus alone. None of those things are meant to be done solo. Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5 says this, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We are meant to function together in the body of Christ, just as the parts of our bodies function together, except for the appendix. Don't be an appendix, okay? So we're meant to work together, even though we all have different roles and talents and passions, and we all, we all have different things that we can bring to the party. But when we put all of those different things into play, those roles and talents and passions complement one another, and that unity furthers the cause of the kingdom of God. And it's okay that we're all different. It's okay that we don't have all the same skills. I've heard it said this way, and this is the best way I could say it, so I'm going to give, some, give somebody else the, the words here. Unity is not the same is uniformity. And I think it's really important that we understand that, that, that we don't have to all do this the same. We don't have to walk with Jesus exactly the same way. We don't have to do church exactly the same way. Unity is not the same as uniformity. There is legitimately strength in our differences. It is our differences that give us a wider and more effective reach into a world that doesn't know Jesus. On a, on a personal level, there are people that you might be able to reach for Jesus because of, of who you are or where you work or what your background is that I could never reach. Because if I tried to, there's people that if I talk to them, as soon as they found out I'm a pastor, they wouldn't want to build a relationship with me because they would assume I'm just trying to, to get them to, to be another number or I'm just, I just want to baptize them or whatever. Sometimes I wonder if people think I'm just going to force baptize them if I get them near water. I don't know. But there are people that you could reach a lot better than I could reach because of that. There are probably people that I could reach better than you because of something in my background or something like that, some way that I could connect. And so there, there really is strength in our differences. And that goes for differences in churches too. Different churches reach different people. And honestly, as long as people are being reached for Jesus, it doesn't matter to me if it's us doing it or if it's them doing it. It's so tempting to, to talk smack on other churches. It's tempting to to be jealous of other churches sometimes. And sometimes I do give in to that temptation and it's wrong. And I know I'm not the only one that feels that way, but I know people that legitimately struggle on a daily basis, people in the church world who struggle on a daily basis to not feel that way about different churches. Several years ago, I, I preached a sermon. Back then, I was only preaching in our, in our main services once every couple months or so. This was before late church started um, and I would always go a little, um, how do I phrase this, over the top. Like, I would put a lot of pressure on myself to preach an extremely challenging sermon because I didn't get to preach very often. And I'd actually get really disappointed if people didn't respond well. Because I'd be like, man, I nailed that. Like, people ought to respond well. And, which is silly, but I was young and naive, so it is what it is. But one particular sermon I preached, I put a ton of emphasis on, on reaching out to those far from Christ. And I made it abundantly clear, I, I, for some reason I got really stuck on this idea, I made it abundantly clear that inviting your friends who go to the church down the street to your church was not evangelism. I, I, just, I really harped on that point. I said, listen, because people are often like, oh, I'm going to get my friends to come, they go to this other church, and it's like, no, they know Jesus already. Invite somebody who doesn't know Jesus. And, and so I was very like, hard on that. I was, I was pretty clear saying, listen, we, we'd welcome them. We'd love to have them here. If they can plug in here and serve, that's great. If this fits for them, that's great. But they already know Jesus, so we really, that, that's not evangelism. 
And I thought I nailed it. Like, I thought it was, I was like, man, that's good. People are going to be coming to the back door and be like, man, that was awesome. And I was excited. And then someone stopped at the back door to talk to me about the sermon. And they thanked me for the sermon. And they told me it was a challenging message. And this person said something to this effect. They said, reaching the lost, absolutely important. But we also have to work on those people in denominations. And I I smiled and I nodded and I wanted to smack myself in the face like I could have had a V8. Because I know that there are some big differences between us and denominations. I understand that. But how many of those differences have anything to do with the fact that God sent Jesus to die for our sins? And through that act, we have the opportunity to spend eternity with Jesus. There there are definitely differences. There are some some issues, some some things that, that we don't agree on. But when we get caught up in those things and we act like people in denominations probably aren't going to heaven with us, all that does is scream to people outside the church, disunity, not unified, broken, divided. And we spend valuable time fighting about things when we could be sharing the gospel. Imagine saying this, and I don't think you would ever say this, but imagine saying this. I am too busy defending my version of Christianity to tell someone about Jesus. Now, you wouldn't say that out loud, and I would never say that out loud, but a lot of our churches and a lot of Christians actually scream that out loud with the way that they function, with how they live and what they get hung up on. There are absolutely belief differences that matter. I don't want, I don't want you to walk away and say, oh, Craig doesn't think there's any, anything that matters. There are. There are some that are even worth getting hung up on, and absolutely some worth discussing. I don't want to suggest that anything goes, but there are also so many more that we get caught up on that really don't matter. It's really about perspective. We can fight about what kind of worship music and how many prayers and what version of Scripture and when to take communion and so many other things. We can do that, but at the same time, there are are brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world who are literally being killed for their beliefs. So how important are our fights? See, that, that's, that's where we have to get to. You know, we're, we, we have it so good. Our version of Christianity is so comfortable that we can sit and, and argue about things that really don't matter. There are literally followers of Jesus who, simply by stating they're a follower of Jesus, are putting their own lives in danger. Some of them are being killed for that very belief. I don't say that as a shock and awe kind of thing. I say it because it's true and we lose sight of that stuff because it doesn't happen here very often. And we're so far from them, but they are our brothers and sisters in Christ and we would certainly be doing more good for them and for the body of Christ as a whole if we figured out how to get along in unity because we absolutely need each other, not just within this congregation, not just within the churches of our country, but in the church as a whole, all Christians. The second reason we pray for unity, we pray for unity because in unity the world will see God's love. Unity sends a message of God's love. When we're united as the family of God, the world will see demonstrated the active, passionate love of Jesus through his people. It's impossible for them to not see that when we're truly united. Romans 15, 7 says this, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. That acceptance, that unity, that togetherness expresses praise. And if we're supposed to accept one another just as Christ accepted us, that means that we accept one another in spite of our shortcomings, in spite of our failings, in spite of our sins. 
Honestly, that doesn't leave many reasons not to accept one another, except for petty ones. And so the truth is we need to start being known for, more for what we're for than for what we're against. A lot of people can tell you what the church is against. A lot of people can tell you what the church doesn't like. They can't tell you what the church is for, and that, that's a problem. But unity can push that pendulum the other direction, and we become more known for what we're for than what we're against, but only if we're unified. In John 13, 34 and 35, this speaks to this as well as anything. It says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And you can continue that verse and say this, if you can't get along, it will be hard for anyone to believe that you love one another. If you keep fighting about stupid things, it will be hard for anybody to believe that you love one another. You don't always have to like one another. You don't always have to agree with one another. But we're commanded to love one another. And in that, people will see that we follow Jesus. But in, in, but in disunity, it's awfully hard to see love. In division, it's awfully hard to see Jesus. So again, this is difficult to achieve, but that's why we pray for God's help, because it is difficult. But because when we're unified, it's worth it, because people will see God's love. And then the third reason is this. We pray for unity because we can do infinitely more together. Infinitely more together. I believe that the local church, all local church, but the local church is the hope of the world. That the churches like this is the hope of the world. And that we can do infinitely more together than we can apart. And so that means all churches together, all Christians together. And the problem is, a lot of the time we don't look very much like the early church. The early church thrived even though they didn't have buildings, they didn't have technology, they didn't have fundraisers and stuff like that, they didn't have coffee and donuts at the door. And on top of that, the one thing they did have was massive persecution. Not someone tweeting about not liking something at their church, but people actually being killed for their faith in very violent ways. And yet this is a group of people who spread the gospel all over their region and then all over the world. They were known through the community, throughout the community, as people eventually had to say, we may not believe in what they believe in, but wow, do they love each other. The way they stand together, the way they are united, is something we've never seen. That, that's the kind of stuff people had to say about the early church. Recorded in Acts 4.32 is this statement about the early church. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed they had any of their claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. That all the believers were of one heart and one in heart and mind is such a beautiful like way to state unity. There, it's a it's a description of next level unity and next level love, something maybe beyond what we've experienced. And I wish I could say that that's how people would describe today's church, but it's doubtful. And yet it's what we need to strive for because that level of unity and that level of love moved the gospel throughout the world in spite of massive persecution. And it took Christianity from a small group to a worldwide movement all the way to where we are today. And I think we could use that kind of unity today and it would be the kind of revival the church needs, both in this country and beyond. But again, it only happens if we are united in that. Here's the thing, 
And this, this may sound harsh, but I think the world is sick and tired of hearing about the love of Jesus. I think they want to see it. I, I think they hear about it quite a bit. I think they want to see it. And they will see it through our love for one another, through our unity, which is why that's one of the things we need to pray for. And this is not an individual prayer. This is a prayer for the family of God. That through our love for one another and the unity that expresses, that the world would see, hey, there's something different about them, so that together we can make an impact in the world. The bottom line is this. I believe, and I know this sounds crazy, but I believe that the church could eradicate hunger. I believe that the church could give access to clean drinking water to everyone who doesn't currently have it. I believe that poverty could be eliminated. I believe that medical care could be available to everyone, everywhere, whoever needs it. And I believe that every person alive could hear about the love of Jesus. But I believe that all of those things can only be possible through the power of God and the unity of his people. That's the only way those things would be possible. And yet I don't think any of us would say, no, nah, I don't think those things are worth our time. That'd be awesome. And it, and it sounds impossible. Those things, all of them, would change lives for the better, would change the world for the better, and in the long run, it would change people's eternities for the better. And so if unity is the first step in moving towards that, then, then we better pray for unity in God's people. Let's pray. God, we, um, we're really good at getting caught up in the details. We're really good at focusing on specific things that, that trigger us. And so, as part of the family of God, we, we sometimes lose sight on what's, of what's important. We get caught up in, in things that aren't worth arguing about, things that have, have nothing to do with what it is that you've done for us through Jesus on the cross. And, and we argue and we, we split churches and we, we divide and we think when we do that that we're making a bigger impact. But we're not. Our divisions are what hold us back. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to be people who, who pray for and strive for unity among those that follow you. God, I pray that we would know across all churches that we're all on the same team. And that within each church, we're all on the same team. And we would do what needs to be done to keep that unity as the goal. And I pray that in that unity, it would speak volumes to a world that needs to know that you love them and that you made a way for them to be with you for eternity. God, as we move into this time of communion, I pray that that sacrifice, that, that thing that should unite us, that you sent Jesus to die for us on the cross, that that would be our focus as we continue. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.